Welcome to the CX Impact Podcast. Speed up your customer experience success. The CX Impact Podcast is brought to you by Gemseek, your trusted analytics advisor, helping you predict what your customers will do next. Hello everyone, welcome back to the CX Impact Podcast. My name is Ivailo Yorgov and I'll be your host for today's episode. We're kicking off the second episode of season 2 with a topic that has not been discussed in much depth in our podcast so far. We'll be talking about internal communications and collaboration and how to create an environment where growth and compassion prevail. We talk a lot about customer experience and all things related to it, but we don't spend that much attention on how do we exactly communicate our vision for customer experience and how do we communicate the actions to everyone within the company. How do we align the whole company behind our vision? And I'm so excited to welcome our guest today, Kate ECJ. Kate has remarkable experience on her resume, including heading the communications department for multiple organizations, including Public Health England, Medtronic and Sage. Currently, Kate is acting managing director for Where to Look Communications and the host of the Engagement Express podcast. Welcome to the CX Impact podcast, Kate. Thank you so much. Really glad to be here. Kate, I gave a very brief overview of the things that you have done in your career, but I also know that you've done a lot more than that, actually. I somehow feel that it doesn't give you enough credit for all of the amazing things that you have done so far. Could you maybe share a couple of more details? Yeah, of course. Uh, you're very welcome. So yeah, it is difficult to squeeze everything into a into a LinkedIn page or a resume. But yeah, I have over 20 years experience working across corporate communications uh, from building intranets about 20 years ago when I first started. I'm using basic code, HTML, JavaScript, PHP to you know moving into internal communications and management and then managing teams. So I've done everything from training to leadership coaching, on leadership visibility and leadership communication, business strategy education, change, communication, knowledge management and collaboration and knowledge sharing. So, you know, I've, I've worked in like pretty large organizations, like you said at the beginning, multinational, and I'm really used to being in a, a cultural mix. So for me, it's usually really important to have that mix of different cultures geographically you know as well as local cultures and then also you know translating from one language to another is something that I have a lot of experience in so I've worked across Europe mainly but also EMEA and in a couple of global roles Um, but yeah Europe is my area of comfort and so therefore you know you're talking about multiple languages and geographies which um, I really enjoy and I love. Kate, to be honest with you, what you said, I think it's one of the most difficult things to do. I'm the managing director of James Hicks, so a lot of what I do is doing strategy and business plans and, you know, establishing the vision and working on the products of the company, figuring out what are we going to be doing next as a company. And to be honest with you, it's not a simple thing to do, of course, but to be honest with you, I've always found it even more difficult to communicate all of these things to people, you know, to try to, to align them behind this vision. Obviously, you know, it's not like you can push people in this direction but how exactly do you do it how difficult exactly is what you do yeah it's really difficult so you raise a a very important point you know when people think about communications external or internal you know you think well you know we'll do a poster we'll do a a video we'll do a blog we'll do a, a post on social media and then there's an assumption that the communication has happened 
because you know you've shared that video or that poster or whatever it is but you know there's a, a saying a very famous saying which is the greatest illusion is that communication has actually taken place when it hasn't so there's a process that you need to follow you, you send out the communication the sender sends out the communication the audience receives it but then you know there needs to be an understanding a consumption number one they need to consume it and then an understanding an interpretation and that is really hard so even basic stuff you know that you think would be rudimentary for example health and safety a health and safety notification there's a problem with the ground floor please don't go to the ground floor because the floor is wet it's dangerous you will still see people going to the ground floor you know maybe slipping and hurting themselves and you know when you ask them didn't you see the communication oh i, I thought i saw something but i didn't read it so you can send the communication but how the audience consumes that and interprets it is really important and it's an ongoing quandary so you're right in saying that it's not simplistic it's complicated yeah it's very difficult also because people are bombarded by communications at you know all day even from you know the small talk that you have with your colleagues through conversations with your wife with your child advertisements tv it's all over the place exactly there's so much communication that's happening um, at any given time and yeah i mean how do you sort through that how do you work out what's important and what isn't how do you know what's relevant and what isn't and people have found lots of different ways to do that or to try to do it but nothing you know is perfect or works 100 in my experience but yeah there has to be a responsibility i think for the consumer to be able to know what information they need can't all be on the shoulders of the person sending the communication because they don't necessarily know yeah that's very interesting do you think companies are paying more attention to this kind of internal communication these days so yes definitely since the start of the pandemic you know two years ago covid has caused a lot of understanding around internal communications because leaders and organizations have started to realize the importance of connecting employees to messages vital messages so not nice to know or you know frilly stuff that isn't necessarily important but vital information that is about life and death and is about emergency so there's a, a greater understanding of number one the challenges of communicating internally but also the channels and the limitations that they have so i believe there is an awakening about uh, internal communications and its importance and long may it continue is it becoming harder to actually do this communication while people are working remotely how has this situation actually changed the way we do internal communications you know previously it was everyone in the office so you could gather them in one and the same room you know bombard them with face-to-face -face message how do companies do it these days yeah it's a really good question and it's an ongoing debate about whether remote working or expanded remote working because let's face it remote working was always there um, you know, has made it more difficult. And yes, it has and it hasn't. So before, you know, the pandemic, people were always working remotely, not necessarily as much as they are now, and certainly not as much as during the pandemic itself. But people have always worked remotely or worked in other countries or worked in other parts of, you know, the local area. So you haven't had the luxury of people being in the same room or in the same location or in the same building. So there's always been that requirement to have local communication that isn't necessarily face-to-face. -face. And we've facilitated that naturally through digital platforms like Teams, like social collaboration tools such as Yammer or Workplace by Facebook. 
Slack example, another example. So yeah, people are used to using digital now. I think Teams and Zoom is obviously, you know, they've obviously been greatly used during the pandemic and people are used to having online calls with, you know, cameras on or, you know, in their living room or their bedroom or wherever they're sitting. And that has its limitations. But what I noticed during the COVID, the main COVID period, which was 2020, when we were in lockdown in the UK at least, leaders were having to do video communication from their home. And that really leveled the playing ground. So, you know, everyone was saying, you know, leaders are, are, you know, suited and booted typically on a town hall. If they're face-to-face in an office, they're wearing a tie, you know, they're wearing a suit. But in their home office, they had their dog or their children walk in or, you know, and they were so much more relaxed and so much more, you know, informal, which I think leveled the playing field greatly. So there's that's a plus. But there are obviously minuses that not everyone has great places to work from home. Not everyone has an office and that's problematic. So, yeah, it's, it's a good and a bad thing. It's very interesting now that you say it about the leveling of the playing field. You know, in a, in a face-to-face communication, there is someone standing in front of the group. While on the screen, it's everyone is just the same. You know, it's a face on the screen. There is no hierarchy there. Can you share a couple of more kind of good examples from your practice? What do companies that do well what do they do? What do the leaders in this do? What companies that do internal communication do well is to have frequent communications and multiple channels. So, you know, there isn't one way to, you know, one way to do something. There's always multiple ways that you can achieve a certain objective. And the best companies that do it really well understand that. So they have a great mix of channels. So they'll have an intranet. They'll have perhaps even a podcast or at least an audio platform where they share audio updates. They might have a newsletter, an electronic one. They might have a paper version. You know, they might also have blogs, for example, video blogs or written blogs, vlogs as they call them, video blogs. So there's a real variety there, which enables the audience to be able to pick and choose. Why is that important? Because we've got an audience which is complex and different. So you and I are not the same in terms of how we consume information. You might like video, you might have a preference for video for whatever reason. I might have a preference for written text, but the companies that don't do it well assume that everyone's going to read an email, everyone's going to read an article, and they don't need to do any more to communicate. And that's simply not the case because we've got neurodiversity at play here and more organizations are beginning to understand that. But a lot of organizations still don't know about dyslexia, dyscalculia, autism, ASD, ADHD, all of these complex neurodivergent conditions and how they affect communication and how they affect the recipient of the communication if they've got that that condition. So, you know, the more research I do, the more I understand that it's really important to have a variety of communication channels and to mix it up and to make sure that you're meeting your audience requirements and just don't assume that everyone's neurotypical. Everyone, you know, reads an article or wants to read a blog, a written diary entry or or text of some kind. People like to consume their, their information in different ways. Do you only in your practice deal with this kind of, I'm going to call it management to employees communication or do you see also companies trying to to facilitate the reverse process as well? So because internal communication, I kind of assumed in the beginning, of course, that it's the management team wanting to communicate something to employees, but but it's got two sides at the end of the day. There is also employees trying to or 
communicating something to, to the management team. Have you seen anything like that in your practice as well? Is it becoming more and more important? Right, exactly. And it is. So there is an assumption that that's top down communication. What I mean by top down is, like you said, leadership to employees. But there is much more complex than that. So most companies do have cross collaboration between business units. So from business unit to business unit across the company. So you get lateral communication too. But then you also get colleague generated content. So that's um, content that's created by employees and is shared, not necessarily up. Yes, for sure, it can be up, but it can be across, it can be even further down the organisation, or it can just be in a circle. But, you know, it's it's interesting that you don't often get the opportunity for very junior employees to com- communicate with very senior leaders. And when I've worked with my clients and in organisations where I've been employed, I have always tried to facilitate that conversation because it's one of the ones that's usually missing. So if you've got someone who's a, an entry graduate, for example, someone 19, 20 years old, working on a, a platform or coding or perhaps on an IT help desk, they are really unlikely to ever have an off- a conversation with a senior leader and certainly not the managing director or the CEO. So what I've always done is to create intimate spaces, virtual usually, not normally face-to-face, but sometimes face-to-face, where they're able to have a conversation in a small setting, perhaps 10 of them in a room, a virtual room, and ask the CEO questions. And you'd be very surprised that there's a reluctance to do that because they're afraid of, (laughs) they're usually afraid of what they're going to hear. But you're right in saying that internal communication certainly shouldn't just be top down and like I say going back to the best companies that you asked about earlier best companies are the ones that understand that you know bottom up is just as important as top down it's so hard to break this kind of reluctance of people to ask questions and it's probably about the openness and the trustworthiness that the management communicates yeah exactly that's that's so true it's it's a trust issue and it's a psychological safety issue So if you're not feeling psychologically safe, you don't trust your leadership, then those conversations don't happen. And when I tried to facilitate those virtual rooms where uh, very junior employees had an opportunity to ask a senior leader questions, there is even reluctance on the bottom side. So the junior employees that were approached were reluctant to ask questions because they were afraid if they said something wrong, you know, what might happen to them. So yeah, you're right in saying that you must have that trust. If that trust doesn't exist, then you may as well not uh, not bother. Oh, you make me think about so many things. You know, we just had our town hall here in the in the company and we try to encourage people to, to ask questions, but still, you know, it's a 200 people company and still not a lot of questions. That's very common, very common indeed. And as internal communicator, it's your greatest fear. You know, you set up an event or, a, you know, some kind of communication channel and no one wants to ask a question and you get around it by perhaps planting questions, but you want it to be authentic as well. You want it to be genuine and you want it to be transparent and honest. So the only way you can facilitate that is by making it clear every single day in the employee experience that it's okay to ask questions and that there's no wrong question, there's no silly question, you know, just go ahead and ask. You won't be judged. It's very interesting what you just mentioned, you know, that this thing, it's not about declaring that you're open. It's not about kind of being explicit about it. It's about the things that you do every day, you know, having a cup of coffee with the employee, you know, and showing that, yes, you're genuinely interested. And yes, it's absolutely fine for them to ask questions, right? Exactly. And the best leaders do that. So when I think back to the organizations I've worked with, where everyone's felt psychologically 
you know, relatively psychologically safe and, and they feel trusting of the organisation and the leadership is because the senior leaders make an effort to walk the floor and not in a, you know, kind of a royal way whereby, you know, they walk through and everyone must, you know, bow and scrape. It's more, you know, a case of just having conversations with people. You know, I've seen them talking to a, a photocopier, you know, repairman, or, you know, sitting in the kitchen and talking to people who are cleaning or, you know, washing the dishes or, you know, doing something manual. When you see that, you think, now that that's a real genuine leader because it's not about telling everyone what to do and being, you know, feeling superior or feeling like you're better than everyone. But, you know, just being a normal person, a guy or a girl or a woman or a man, whoever the leader is, just being approachable and being informal is, is really important because people do have perceptions of leadership. And, you know, if you try to counteract that, then it does make a difference. Kate, going back, just a couple of questions back when we spoke about, you know, the, this top down and bottom up communication and then also the peer to peer communication. And I think it also touches on the topic of knowledge sharing and knowledge management. It, is it just my impression that so much gets lost within organizations? You know, people know so many things, but they don't share them very openly or they don't share them with a the broader audience. And the, all of these good ideas, you know, that could have turned into amazing products or a new market strategy or whatever, these things just don't get shared with a broader audience. I've talked about this extensively and it's one of the things that I, the services I provide as a consultant is how to manage your knowledge and how to ensure it's shared. And, and you're so right in saying that, you know, information is often retained. And, and sometimes I have to say it's deliberate because knowledge is power. So people who've been in an organization for a long time will often not share information deliberately because they don't want anyone else to know. And it, they feel as though they're protected in that way and that their job is safe. But the best organizations don't allow that. They ensure that information knowledge is constantly shared through platforms or through conversations and meetings um, by enabling repositories of content, document repositories or intranet platforms where you're able to share information. Teams is a good example of that. So Teams isn't just for calls, it's also for sharing, file sharing. It is a difficult thing, it's a quandary. And I've worked in organizations where you've got long-standing employees who've been there for 20, 30 years and the knowledge is outstanding. And if they were to leave or they were to get ill or something like that, then yeah, that everything falls to the ground. But there's a real reluctance there to manage that situation. And I guess it's because it's something to do with politics as well, not necessarily just knowledge. Knowledge and knowledge sharing is political. And how do you mix different kind of people and different ideas? Because oftentimes the, all the, these creative ideas and innovations come from, you know, mixing people with diverse backgrounds, as you mentioned before. So how do you do that? How do you encourage that in a workplace? Yeah, it's really hard. So one of the things that I like to do is create groups of some kind. So communities, I call them, and they're generally known as communities of practice whereby you'll get particular groups of people working in a particular function or with a, a certain level of expertise. 
where you create a space where they can have conversations, not necessarily just about what they're doing, but also about their expertise in the wider context. So for example, if you create a community of practice for engineers, then they will share best practice from outside the organization as well in, as internally. And what that does is it really facilitates conversations, it builds relationships and it builds trust. So people know that, you know, I'm not a rival to my other engineers. They are my colleagues. They are, you know, people that I can learn from, that people I can teach. And it's a community where we can share our challenges. So that's one of the, the best ways I would say to facilitate that, you know, relationship building and, and that cross collaboration. But if the organization doesn't have a culture of sharing, then it's going to be very difficult to do. So we go back to culture eating everything else for breakfast, you know, including strategy. Yeah, the culture drives everything. So you need to have a culture of sharing, a culture of collaboration, a culture of relationship building in order to facilitate those kind of communities of practice. Kate, I have a question which might seem rather stupid because when I ask it in my head, but obviously no one owns culture. But who owns kind of these internal communications? Whose responsibility it is? It's a good question. I did a whole podcast episode on who owns engagement because engagement is usually the perceived outcome of good internal communications. But usually it will typically be an internal communications function, which is not necessarily well resourced. You might have one or two people doing that and that will feed into either HR or uh, marketing and communications. So those are the two areas that will typically own internal communication. If an organization has low engagement, then communication will be a part of that, quite a large part of that. They may feel that they're not necessarily well communicated with, they don't feel informed, and they don't know what's going on in the business. So internal communication is strategic to benefit employees and to increase employee experience, positive employee experience, but in terms of ownership, yeah, it's usually internal communications, corporate communications or HR or a combination of all of those three. Kate, you mentioned that you, you have a podcast on your own. Obviously, I'm quite certain that all of the episodes are super interesting, but are there kind of one, two or three of them that you find exceptional and must listen to? Or by the same token, you know, if I'm more interested in internal communications and learning more, where should I go for information? Yeah, the, well, there's a, really, some really good um, podcasts out there, you know, not just my own, that focus on internal communications and engagement. But the episodes that I would certainly recommend are, there's one where I interviewed two stalwarts of the industry, and they were the ones that were commissioned by the UK government back in 2008 to write a report about engagement called Engage, Engage for Success. And I interviewed the two authors of that report, David McLeod and Nita Clark. And they are perceived to be extremely knowledgeable people in that field. So that interview was really amazing because I got the people who had defined for the UK what engagement looks like and how organisations can foster and increase engagement. So it's really insightful. It's a great reminder for those people who read the report back in 2008. But also, it was interesting because even though 2008 was what, gosh, we're talking about 14 years ago or something bizarre like that, those things that were mentioned in the report are still not necessarily happening in UK organisations. So yes, the report was written. Yes, the UK government mandated it. 
but a lot of organizations have not put into play the recommendations. So that's one episode that I would definitely recommend. And then there are a couple of interviews that I did with internal communication and change professionals that I would also recommend. Uzma Mohamedeli, who was my second episode interviewee, and also Jihan Hyde, who talks about organizations and communication, psychological safety, all those kind of things. So yeah, those are the three I'd recommend. Thank you so much, Kate. That's super interesting. I so much want to continue chatting with you, uh, but I'm afraid that we're running a little bit out of time. If you don't mind, I'm going to reserve the right to chat with you again, maybe in the future, maybe talk a little bit more about change management that you mentioned. I would also love to hear about the work that you're doing with companies and getting these kind of success stories. What do companies do well? How do they measure that and all of that? So I would love to have you back on the podcast, if that's okay with you course I would love to be back it's been a really good conversation and like you say there's so much on this topic that we can talk about but yeah time is of the essence so thank you very much for having me I really enjoyed it thank you so much Kate we'll be in touch cheers if you liked this episode hit follow and visit gemseek.com to learn more let's make an impact on the world of CX together thank you for listening 